Kia ora, it's Monday afternoon and around this time each Monday we welcome an expert into the studio on a random topic to answer your questions and mine. Today we're talking about bees and beekeeping. Everything you wanted to know but were possibly afraid to ask, you can text your beekeeping questions to 2101. And joining us to share her broad bee knowledge is apiarist Noilani Waters, who is a bee and nature advocacy lead at Convita, the Kiwi Honey Company. Noilani joins me now. Hi. Kia ora. Kia ora. Let me bring my monitor down so I can see you properly. Um, <laughs> we're in this jam-packed RNZ studio in Auckland. Nice to see you. Uh, you better tell us how you first became interested in bees. Yeah, my journey to bees uh, really started at a super young age, I think. So my, both my parents are avid gardeners, and um, I was a toddler out and about in their garden um, and was always really, really keen on bugs and insects as a kid. And then in college, I decided to study um, deeper about agriculture and bees. So I studied tropical plant science and agroecology at my home university of University of Hawaii at Hilo on the Big Island. And um, I dove into beekeeping there, um, got a certificate in beekeeping, and um, was really lucky to get to be hired as an apiary inspector for the Department of Agriculture, um, traveling around the state for about four years, um, doing education, outreach, um, biosecurity work. Gosh. Yeah, it was really, really cool. And then it's carried me um, here to New Zealand. Yeah, how did you end up in New Zealand? So um, from that apiary work that I did, um, I was then a school garden teacher and then later um, a breeder um, working on a specialized breeding project, um, breeding VSHBs, which is Varroa Sensitive Hygiene. And I learned the skill of instrumental insemination of queen bees, which is actually a really niche um, <laughs> work area. Can you explain it to us? <laughs> sure. So essentially you are um, selecting stock um, from a large pool of queens, essentially, and um, drones, which are the male bees. And you're looking for positive traits, um, such as temperament and disease resistance mm. and various things. And then you actually collect semen um, from the drones and inseminate the queen bee. And that bee, that queen bee becomes the mother of many other queens that are then the mothering other hives. So um, you're kind of creating like a super mother. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it has a huge effect on a large apiary um, and they're really valuable as well. So that you're promoting the gen- genetic aspects that actually make a bee likelier to thrive. Correct. Yeah, yeah exactly. And um, you're also really working with um, naturally selecting that stock. So you're not doing any major manipulation yeah. apart from the insemination. Same as a sheep and bee farmer. Yeah, exactly. And plant selection as well. It's pretty similar overall. Is it a fiddly job artificially inseminating a bee? Yeah, it's a bit, um, you know, you use a stereoscope so you're under um, a little field of vision there with your hands and a little instrument that helps you inseminate that queen. Yeah, is the is the queen under general anesthetic? <laughs> She's actually under CO2, which mimics actually what she would experience experience in nature. So she actually flies up towards the sky into the sun uh, and meets drones there <laughs> midair and mates with up to 40 drones um, on that first mating flight as a virgin and returns home. So it 
um, is pretty incredible. So we, we mimic that to a certain extent. Like, so we essentially give them some CO2, and that makes them immobile for a short period of time, but it doesn't alter them in any way. Um, they wake up totally fine, okay. generally speaking. So I got distracted. So you were on your way to New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, so I learned this skill of insemination, and um, I was – uh, working in a lab in Hawaii um, at a honey producer doing VSCH Queens. And a job listing came my way um, in this very niche field of work that I was working in. Um, and it was actually to work with Convita and come do breeding work in their far north breeding unit in Taipa in the far north. And so I applied thinking I really didn't have much of a chance and I was really surprised to um, come back into their interviews and um, and then ended up moving right before COVID happened. Oh. <laughs> so it's been a really fun journey. And I'm, I imagine, was that a bit of a culture shock, moving from the U.S. to Taipa? Well, I'm from a small town in Hawaii, so I mm-hmm. would say Hawaii to, um, you know, Taipa, the far north, is actually not as different as some people would think. Okay. And certainly the first thing I'll say is uh, the far north is not winterless <laughs> compared to Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, you've had a tough couple of years, though. It has, it's been yeah. uncharacteristic a couple of years up north, True. I've got to say. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I did that for a couple of seasons, um, and I transitioned within the company to do more of an education role, which is currently what I what I do. Fantastic. And so yeah. you're here with us. And um, it's a mix of my questions and qu- uh, questions from listeners. Anne says, a swarm of bees has just arrived in my garden about an hour or so ago. What should I do? Oh, goodness. Well, depending on where Anne is located, she can call her local bee club. And they typically have a long list of people who can, or beekeepers rather, who come and s- collect those swarms and do it safely um, and rehome them into a a nice hive. So um, first thing to know is that bees are extremely gentle when they're swarming. It's um, the, the gentlest they'll ever be, actually, because they have no home to defend. And they've actually drunk up a whole bunch of nice nectar and honey from their hive before they've gone off swarming, which is a natural reproductive mechanism of um, a hive. So in spring and summer, they divide into two, and that's a swarming event. And so when they drink up all this honey, their stomachs are so full that they can't even articulate their abdomens to sting Oh, it's huh. pretty incredible. So they're looking so for their home. So <laughs> Yes, yes. So she can call a local beekeeper, and that um, usually through a bee club will direct you to that. So What do bees do before they had human-made hives to hang out in? Yeah, so um, bees and flowers have been evolving for over 100 million years, and um, we as humans have actually been evolving for only about 6 million years. <laughs> but our relationship with um Bees and humans uh, actually evolved about 10,000 years ago. And, you know, they really have just, um, they were collected off of the edges of cliff sides and brought into um, baskets and pottery to actually create hives near civilizations. So we've had this relationship a long time, but ultimately bees do survive without humans. Mm-hmm. Um, in the, this current day and age, there's a pest called Varroa mite that's across the world now, and it's um, a mite that's um, unique to honeybees, but they evolved with the Asian honeybee. And so our Western European honeybee that is currently in New Zealand and around the world and is used for agriculture pollination, mm. they haven't evolved with that mite. And so it's really critical that us as beekeepers, we act as stewards to the hive and we treat for varroa mite. Um, and that is one of the problems and reasons that we don't have a lot of wild hives anymore um, is this particular mite. Okay. They're a parasite. Mm. What sort of backyard is suitable for beekeeping? 
Well, really, it can be a small space. Um, when I bring people into hives uh, in Victoria Park, for example, um, I really talk a lot about how beekeeping in an urban environment, um, it doesn't seem like a place where bees would thrive, but truly it is. It's such a diverse place with tons of backyard gardens. And even the smallest space can be uh, a really great haven for bees. Um, and so the main thing is to know that you need to place them in a place that's appropriate for basically your neighbors and your home mm. and traffic that is around your space. Um, and I just want to add that you really don't have to um, have hives to have a really bee-friendly space in your backyard. You can plant flowers um, in your garden and that provides a huge impact to pollinators. Yeah. I just put some borage in uh, recently in my garden, blue flowers. I think that's yeah, pretty good for bees. Yeah, they love blue flowers, yeah. <laughs> um, but we'll stick with the idea of hives. And so what would you do if you thought, yeah, I'd like a bit of this in my life? Um, again, would the start be to make contact with the bee club via Facebook or something? Yeah, so you actually can reach out. You just type it into Google, depending on where you live. So we're in Tamaki Makoto, so type in Auckland Beekeepers Club, and you can actually, or Beekeeping Club, rather. And um, they have so much information on that page. So they do a beginning class. You can come around to um, meet the other beekeepers, which are hobbyists and sideline beekeepers, generally speaking. Um, and they're mentors within that group. So they typically have a be beginning beekeeping class that they offer to their members. And then from there, there's also resources to buy a nuke, which is a nucleus hive. And that's generally how we start beehives, just a small hive mm. that we install into the equipment. Um, and so they can provide a lot of those resources. Um, APNZ uh, is our large association for um, apiculture in New Zealand. It's an amazing resource as well. They have a whole page dedicated to starting bees um, mm. here in New Zealand. And um, MPI as well has some great resources on their website. If you had young children, would you be worried about having a beehive around young children? Generally speaking, there's only a very small percentage of the population that's actually allergic to bees and experiences anaphylaxis. Um, and it's kind of a misnomer that, that bees are really the scary thing we should fear. Mm. We're really taught that at a young age to fear bees. But really, bees are gentle creatures. And the temperament of bees is really important. And it's one of the genetic traits that we select for, actually. So um, if for some reason you had installed bees that were a bit mean, <laughs> you could re-clean that hive and um, have a better temperament hive. Um, and generally speaking, kids are fascinated by bees and they're wonderful advocates for insects and pollinators. So um, they, they're naturally have a great affinity for bees. Would you break even on a beehive? Is that the idea? Well, I think that if you approach it that way, um, I, I guess I wouldn't recommend approaching it that way because it can end up being a costly hobby. Yeah. Um, all the equipment that you need and space to store that, um, and of course your time and energy, mm. um, does add up. But I would say that approaching bees with a real keen sense of curiosity about this insect and the concept that they are helping to pollinate the food that you eat and the food that's grown in your community. Um, that is really the driving force of yeah. having hives. And honey can be this wonderful extra benefit at the top of it all. So yeah. that's how I like to frame it. Yeah, I, I get that. And uh, you know, I don't know if too many fishers um, break even on fishing. Like, right. <laughs> but you get the enjoyment of being out there and Absolutely. being at one with nature. Yeah, totally. Um, Somebody has asked, Sandy in Auckland says, please ask your guest 
uh, and Noilani Waters is my guest, by the way, beekeeping expert. Please ask your guest what the state of the world's bees is. Are they threatened with extinction? Mm, that's a big question. Yeah, so um, at least in the States, we have um, something called colony collapse disorder. And in 2008, that became a really big hot topic mm. in the media and actually really went around the globe as a urgent call um, you know, for the state of the world's pollinators. And I will say that we do need to treat them better. <laughs> but bees are extremely resilient creatures. And as I've shared, they have been evolving much, much longer than humans have. And my personal opinion is that they have an incredible capacity to adapt. And I've even seen it in the 12 years I've been beekeeping, um, some incredible quick adaptations that happen. Um, but essentially, there's three main things that affect honeybees globally. Um, and this will change a little bit country to country. But overall, varroa, um, which is the main parasite I described, affects honeybees. Um, that is very devastating for beehives. And then we have um, pesticide use, which is really um, large, largely used in monoculture agriculture ventures. And um, we also have habitat loss. So that means that you can have a huge um, field, for example, of one type of crop. And it can actually be a food desert for bees during the whole rest of the year when that mm. one crop is not blooming, there's really nothing else for bees to eat and thrive on. Because just like us, bees need that diverse nutrition. Yeah, food. probably a good time to talk about what people can do if they don't want to actually put a hive in their backyard but want to support bees in some other ways. Yeah, so you can really start in a small way by just planting a small herb garden. Um, bees love blue plants. They love all types of herbs, lavender, borage, rosemary, thyme, um, and then our classic flowers like zinnia and cosmos and sunflowers. So you can start there. And any kind of unused space in your garden, you can allow to be a bit wild and have even the weeds come up. Bees are opportunists, so they will actually consume nectar from flowers like dandelions, um, onion weed, things that we look at as a weed, but they actually provide food and forage for bees. Um, and then beyond that, I really advocate planting native flowering plants. They are kind of the best bang for your buck with the impact that they have to not only honeybees, but the wider breadth of pollinators that we have here in Aotearoa. Um, and so things like Pahutukawa um, are just such a huge food resource for these pollinators, and they bloom year after year. So we don't have to plant them every single year. We don't have to think about that. If you have the space, planting manuka, reorewa, kanuka, um, Pahutukawa, those are all wonderful options. Presumably, presumably bees didn't evolve alongside things like manuka, but seems to be a good match. Yeah, so um, again, bees are opportunists, so they'll take on in mm. their op in their environment um, whatever's blooming and is accessible and appealing to them. Um, and all plants deliver different um, minerals and vitamins to the bees. Um, and yeah, we have uh, native pollinators that did evolve closely with these native flowering plants. And there's 28 native solitary bee species here in Aotearoa, which are really not deeply understood and mm. studied. Um, there's a few people who have who've dove into that topic. But those bees have evolved closely with, with these yeah. flowering plants. Are you, have, have you um, researched much or got interested in our local native bees? Yes, I have kind of consumed any information I can find on them. I'm really keen to learn more. Um, 
And what I do know is that they are very different in the way that they live. So solitary bees or solitary insects live in a much smaller family unit than our social insects like honeybees. And so they're really, really different in that sense. We're talking basically 30 or less individual bees in a solitary family compared to about 50,000 individual mm-hmm. bees in a social insect family like a honeybee. Noilani, is honey a big motivator for you personally? I absolutely love honey. Um, and I really love Manuka honey. I so appreciate having access to it as a beekeeper and employee at Convita getting to enjoy it all the time. Mm. Um, and I find it's really supportive for my health, actually. So I've... I've really appreciated that, particularly healing honey and propolis okay. in my diet. Um, someone wants to know about something called AFB. What yeah, AFB? so AFB is American Fowl Brood Disease, and that's a bacterial disease that produces spores. Um, and it is very detrimental and deadly to honeybees. It is persistent in our environment and um, Aotearoa has a policy or a goal, really, um, is a better word for it, to eliminate this disease. Um, So it's a requirement that beekeepers are registered um, when they get hives. So that's a really critical point to make. Um, it's, It's by law, actually. And also that your hives are inspected for disease, specifically American fowl brood. And so understanding the biology of the insect and then actually diving into the pests and diseases that do affect honeybees are such critical parts of being a good steward to a Mm. bee. Um, and um, really part of what we call, what I would say is being a beekeeper and not a bee haver. <laughs> I like to make that differentiation. <laughs> okay. um, so I've looked up online. I've found a local bee club giving lessons. I've been along to a lesson. I've thought, yep, I'm going to do this. What equipment am I likely to need? Okay, so the next thing I would get it's not quite equipment, but I will add um, practical beekeeping in New Zealand is a wonderful textbook resource that then gives you this um, go-to Bible sort of thing to find out all the things you would want to know. That's the name of the book? Yes. Practical Beekeeping in New Zealand. Correct, yeah. And so that's a great resource. Um, And I would probably start there and then go into the bee club because it'll just give you such a good foundation of what to ask and what you're really wanting to know. So from there, um, you've taken a class, you're really still keen you understand what it takes um from there you would get yourself some protective gear so you could go to there's lots of providers but there's ecrotex Cirocell, bequip they all provide protective equipment are they, are they, sorry are they beekeeper shops yeah they are beekeeper <laughs> supply stores yeah they are um, and so they have all of the equipment that you'd mm. need, um, and their websites are wonderful. So you can get um, suits that suit you, you know, the right size. Um, you would get gloves and a veil. Um, you'd also get a hive tool, a smoker, a bee brush. That's your little kit. Mm-hmm. And then you would get um, hive bodies. So typically, um, best practice is that you always start with two hives. And the reason for that, people are sometimes overwhelmed by the concept of two rather than one, but it is so helpful. That if one hive goes down in health, that you can actually have the other one to to uh, utilize to actually aid that other hive. Um, so it's really critical. Mm. Um, so you'd buy equipment to have two hives, which includes a bottom board, um, a brood box, a queen excluder, and some honey supers. And you'd have actually another extra set of equipment in case you wanted to split your colony as well. It's really handy to have that 
on backup, really easy to access. Thank you. What, what was, what's the smoker? So a smoker is this awesome tool we have as beekeepers. It's our main way to communicate to the bees that were coming into the hive. Bees operate on pheromones, which are scents. And so um, I view it as a way that, um, you, you know, they're t- you're telling them that hey, I'm a beekeeper, I'm human, I'm coming into this hive. Mm. Um, There's another function to it as well, where actually um, when you're smoking the hive, the bees actually think that their hive could be on fire. And so they go and drink up as much nectar as they possibly can, and it sort of distracts them. Um, So it it kind of serves multiple functions, but I view it as um, a calming tool. (laughs) Thank you. Do bees like agapanthus as a blue flower, says someone? We've got lots, but people tell me it's considered a weed in New Zealand. Yeah, bees will definitely visit agapanthus. I actually am not sure about the actual nectar volume or pollen mm. pollen um, quality, really. But I do particularly see a lot of bumblebees visiting agapanthus. I have, of course, some of those uh, growing alongside my house as well. So. Okay. I love bumblebees. I know. I love them, too. They're fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. You don't feel like you're cheating on bees? No, I've just fallen in love with them because we don't have them in Hawaii. We have, um, you know, carpenter bees and, and things like that, yeah. but but no bumblebees. And did you know they were brought here to New Zealand from England? Yeah. We have four species here in New Zealand. And um, a couple of those species that are now thriving here in New Zealand are no longer found in their natural environment in England. Mm. Um, And they can't really be brought back and naturalized there very easily because of the shift in seasons between the southern and northern hemisphere. Um, Pretty fascinating. So we are currently a bee haven here for bumblebees. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. And I actually want to recommend a book. I haven't got to it yet. I've got his other book, which is called... Uh, 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 uh. I'll come back to you. Dave Gilson's um, book on bumblebees. He spoke to Kim Hill, um, and he writes very beautifully about bumblebees and some of their story. Um, we better talk about stings briefly, and I brought it up already, but um, a couple of people on text telling me they're very allergic and they might die if they get stung. So they don't want us to minimise it. But, oh, definitely not. Yes, um, you would want to know before you started um, your own beehive, and, uh, and I suppose... Um, getting stung is inevitable at some point. Absolutely is. You do have to know that you are not uh, deathly allergic to bees, and Mm. that's a very important thing to note. Um, And it's important to know how to remove a sting and how to treat a sting. Um, So, of course, first know that you're not allergic. (laughs) Then from there, wear your protective gear so you feel really calm and centered when you're coming into a hive and that you are protected. If a bee really wanted to, it could sting through your suit, but it would be a much lighter sting than if it was direct to the skin. So um, it actually protects you to a certain extent in that way as well. But um, first, if you're stung, I always say take a deep breath (laughs) and step away from the hive for a moment. And then using your fingernail, scrape along the surface of the skin to remove the stinger rather than using your fingers and pinching the stinger out of the skin. The reason for this is that there's a little venom sac attached to the edge of the stinger, and that's actually pulled out of the abdomen of the bee um, when it stings. So that's part of the reason the bee dies when it stings. It's um, loss of life. And so if you're scraping along the skin, you're actually removing it without inserting that venom into the skin. Um, And then as you're staying calm, really helps... um, not circulate that venom through the body as fast. So if you're staying calm, you stay cooler. um, And that actually 
creates less circulation for the venom through the body and less of a reaction overall. Um, and then you can smoke that hive site with your smoker tool um, and actually just mask the pheromone that is released as well. So there's an alarm pheromone that is also um, attached to that stinger um, in scent. And the alarm pheromone just tells the other bees, hey, I've found some um, intruder in our hive and come come help me deal with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's it's uh, stronger in certain situations, but ultimately that's the way I recommend handling a bee sting. Thank you. Um, and can we have a quick sort of um, lesson on the life cycle of bees? Sure. So um, overall we've got about 50,000 bees in a beehive. 95% of them or more are female and they are sterile worker bees, um, sterile females. And so this is truly a matriarchy, a female-led society. We have one queen in the hive. Sometimes in about 15% of hives, we have two queens. Pretty cool. And then the rest of those bees in the hive are male drones, as we call them. So the main workforce of the hive are the worker bees, and they live only about um, five to seven weeks, as do the drones. The queen lives somewhere around one to five years on average, closer to one to two years um, in a regular hive. And so um, the queen lays eggs all day, every day. She can rear over one million bees in her lifetime Mm. and about 2,000 eggs per day. Really amazing. And she actually doesn't do other jobs in the hive at all. Um, So she doesn't actually feed herself. Well, where where would she find the time? (laughs) Yeah, she really doesn't have the time for it. You're right. (laughs) So she doesn't care for her young or feed herself or actually even take her excrement out of the colony. She has um, attendants do that and care for her young and and assist her with everything. And then the worker bees graduate through about 12 different jobs in their lifetime and that short window of time. And they start as nurse bees, caring for the rest of the bees in the hive as babies that are hive bound. And they graduate through jobs such as um, guard bee, house cleaning bee. um, And then at the end of their life, they are foragers. Um, And the reason for that is it's the most dangerous job that a bee has. Mm. (laughs) They actually go out into the world where there's windstorms and birds that could pluck them out of the air. And so this is by nature um, something they do at the end of their life. They go out searching over Um, seven kilometers from their home site if they have to, to actually find this forage. And they're collecting nectar for carbohydrate source, pollen for fat and proteins. They bring that back into the colony uh, and they feed it to their um, hive. So all the rest of the bees are developing um, as, as those generations continue to go on and the queen keeps laying those eggs. I've got lots more questions, but I have no more time. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I've been talking to Noilani Waters, and if you came in late, you can um, find this conversation online, rnz.co.nz slash jesse, or on the RNZ app. It takes a few minutes after our interview for it to be available online. Noilani is a bee and nature advocacy lead at Convita, the Kiwi uh, Honey Company, and we've been talking about... Uh, what it might take for you to get into beekeeping and some fun bee facts as well.